Welcome to another episode of Only the Brave Have Fun. I'm your host, Jazz Bear, and today's guest is Alison Reeves. Alison is a bid writing professional expert who helps businesses win their improve rate uh, when tendering for more business. And in this episode, she's going to share her personal journey, her client's journey, and also how to improve your win rates. So let's welcome Alison. How's your week been? Pretty busy, huh? Yeah, reasonably. The trouble is all these short weeks, of course, up with me a little bit. And I've got quite a bit of stuff I'm trying to do. And I'm supposed to have all my accounts ready for Friday. So I've got a meeting with my accountant in a week or two. And I haven't got anywhere near it. So um, I've got to get stuck in tonight and get going on that, really. Awesome. But there you go. I like your background. Oh, actually, it's dreadful, my background. Please, please. That was why I asked you whether it was um, visual, because if it was, I, if it, you know, for the yeah, people yeah. watching, I, I would have done it somewhere else. Uh, I'm just in the middle of revamping my study. I'm, I'm going to get it all decluttering. I've got like 20 years worth of stuff in here Excuse that me. I've been getting rid of. Um, so I've got boxes there waiting to be filled up and going down to the um, refuse place. And um, then I'm going to get something to do a decorating job and actually get a new a new fill room, which would be nice. Oh, awesome. About halfway through. <laughs> I, I, I've a uh, long time ago, I read this article about um, decluttering and how it really helps you with, with writing. And then every writer... Uh, author, someone who writes pretty regularly that I speak to, uh, if I look at their room and their desk, it's full of books, full of papers. And and maybe this thing is a bit of a myth uh, for people like me who find it difficult to write and get in the flow. But someone like yourself is probably, uh, that's your inspiration, right? I don't know. I think it depends because it doesn't inspire me in the slightest, I have to say. But personally, I'm quite good at actually, once I dis- I have to be in the mood to write. It's a funny thing. And I think a lot of writers are probably quite similar. And that's why sometimes it doesn't always go exactly to plan because you have the inspiration. You're like, right, I know exactly what I want to say here. Um, But once I'm in that zone, everything around me disappears. So even when I used to work in sort of like a corporate environment, I could always just tune everything else out. It was like I was sitting on my own in the middle of a forest somewhere. So I think there's there's an element of truth to it, though, because I do think that having a scruffy environment, yes. like when I go to work in the office sometimes, I find I can sometimes concentrate for longer periods of time because there's nothing taking my attention. So I think there's an element of truth to it, but a lot depends on your personality, I think. Sure. It's, it's very interesting. You mentioned about, you know, at an early age you started picking up writing. So, so, so people that don't know you, if you could... Uh... Let them know what you do, how you help people. Okay. <laughs> well, um, I've been writing for, for, for many years, and my, my background was in sort of technical writing. So what I tend to do is I help people to express themselves to their potential clients and their clients and their colleagues in a way that allows them to be understood more clearly. So very often people have a clear intention in their mind, but they find it very difficult to take it from their mind and put it onto a piece of paper. They might actually be very good verbally, 
but they can't actually put it down onto a piece of paper. And that's where I come in because I can actually take something that's a very muddled sort of communication and pick out the um, important elements that we need to communicate uh, to other people. So that takes a number of forms. But of course, these days we live in an online world, don't we? So very often we don't have the same, I don't think we have the same level of meetings and one-to-ones and stuff that we used to. I think a lot more people communicate in writing, whether that be social media or email or whatever it might be. Having said that, I get and I'm getting an increasing number of, of clients who communicate with me through various means. So sometimes they communicate with me through email, but often I get stuff from WhatsApp, from Facebook, from all sorts. You could probably hear my computers going now, getting messages all the time from all these different apps. And it's quite overwhelming, I think, for people. So sometimes it's good to have somewhere. I mean, I I always say to my customers, have a website that is the home of your business, because then it allows you often to refer to that, refer people back to the same place all the time uh, to find out about you and what you do for a living. But yes, I mean, people loosely call what I do copywriting, but never quite sure of the right term because lots of people don't actually know what that means. I don't know whether... It's a term that you would use. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I know, I know the value of good copywriting. Um, I, I, I can't write to save my life, but and I'm working on a book as well, which is, which is very interesting. So you need uh, a ghostwriter then. <laughs> you need a ghostwriter. Yeah, maybe. Uh, uh, that's that's an option, but uh, ideally, I wanted to write it myself. Uh, let's see how it comes out the first draft. Yeah, it's very. If you write your own book, I mean, I've done this for other people as well. Is um. People have written a book and then they've said to me, well, I'd like to have it edited and proofread, but I want it to still sound like me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's a, a skill a lot of copywriters have as well, is they're able to do the editing and pull the ideas together and do the proofreading and everything, but still make it sound like you. Absolutely. I mean, practice me is perfect, right? Now, you've got to start from somewhere. And then the more you find your, your, your tone even if you work with someone, they are, they are going to speak to you. They are going to look at your stuff to see what kind of tone, what kind of your style is really. Uh, so so it, can, it can look like you, it can sound like you. But before we, you came on the podcast, we were having a chat and you talked about bid writing and how important you wanted to talk about that. And, and I know, having worked in corporate and having worked myself now, that you know, uh, bidding for a project, the documentation it requires, the bigger the project, uh, especially if you're working with businesses, and even something as simple as putting a brochure together for your business, how important that is. Uh, just before we, we talk about that, let's go a little bit further back. Where did your journey begin? What were you doing before you were doing this full time? Right. Well, um, I started life writing. I used to like writing stories when I was young. So it's always been something I've been a little bit of a natural on. But when I, um, I obviously did school and um, I did university and I did business studies at university because I was quite interested in that. Everybody wanted me to be a teacher or um, go into personnel. I think that was the other thing. Everybody said, oh, you're good with people. Um, do something like that. But it just didn't float my boat, really. Um, and I fell into this job called management services. I hadn't got a clue what it was, but I knew it was a fairly local job and the pay seemed quite good. So I thought I'll have a go at that as you do when you're sort of young and fresh and, you know. Was this after university, Street? 
It was after I came out of university, yeah. It was pretty right. much straight away after that. I did a little job before that, which was, was in personnel, funnily enough, but I was just bored. So, um, and it was a little distance away, whereas this job was much closer. But what was fascinating about it was the first thing they did was they sent me on a course because they said, well, one of the things we need to do is look at processes and procedures and stuff like this. So they sent me on this time emotion course, which I'd never heard of before. And essentially what it was, was you learn how to, um, you basically document a process that somebody's following in order to achieve something. And this was for a building society, my first job. Um, So, for example, on the counter, people would go into the building society and they would make a transaction. And those transactions um, could add up to quite a long period of time. So, uh, you know, and you often had queues and stuff like that. So if you could make that process slicker and quicker and more efficient, then obviously you're seeing people more quickly and the whole thing is, is much better. So time and motion study is about studying the actions that somebody does, documenting it, figuring out a a better way of doing something that's more efficient, then documenting it, and then um, training the person to do that activity uh, better, if you like, or to the new spec. And that's where I started off with my my writing, and and I sort of fell into what they call technical writing. Um, So I did lots of stuff around that, and there was all sorts of theories at the time, and lots of th- ways of writing things and doing things. And that, that's what I did. And then um, I worked at the B- Building Society for some time, but they had a bit of a glass ceiling in those days because I'm going back quite a long way. And they, they weren't very keen on promoting women, so I decided it was time I moved. And I moved to a company called Grant Thornton, which are accountants. And I went into their na- what they call their national department, which was it wasn't a local branch of their business or their partnership as it was. It was like um, a national department that dealt with um, things like um, marketing and IT and stuff like that. Well, I sort of landed in the IT department and that was great fun. Um, and we it was in the days before we um, had, it was commonplace to have computers on desks even. Um, so it's quite interesting introducing all that to people. And I got involved in developing things like marketing databases on big AS400 uh, computers. And then eventually the smaller computers sort of found their way in and, and everything. But all the way through that, the, the common theme for me was I would write things up for people. And also I would do quite a lot of training. And that's another theme that's gone through my career is I've done a tremendous amount of training. Even now, I do a lot of writing skills, training courses. Um, I do my own and I do them for other companies. Um, so that's where I started. Um, and then sort of in the mid-90s, I had the opportunity to do a, a degree in marketing because um, I was working in the marketing department and I thought, oh, this is a good idea. And they basically said, well, we'll pay for it if you pass it. So uh, no pressure. Um, I had to uh, work quite hard, but I did really enjoy it. And that sort of bridged a little gap for me because I was very, very much a technical writer before that. And even technical with the IT and technical with the training, you know, producing training courses and things. But doing the marketing degree actually opened this different window for me to more to more to copywriting, I guess, um, in some respects, because it was about appealing to a client or a customer. Uh, and from that and the, the, the marriage between the technical writing and the um, more marketing stuff 
is where the bid and tender writing came in really um, because what bid and tender writing is it, it is a form of marketing and sales if you like because although you you're given a very strict specification that you are uh, responding to then um you know you're still actually trying to persuade somebody that you're the best candidate to do the job so there's still that element of 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 writing that has to include benefits and all that sort of thing so that's how I sort of fell into it if that that was your question I think that was the question (laughs) and then at what point you know you you decided okay I'm going to start something on my own and and then you you know started your own company yeah, so what happened is in the mid-90s, I was made redundant, which came as a tremendous shock to me because I was, uh, I've always been quite a hard worker. Um, but it was just one of those cases where, you know, my salary sort of matched what the department needed to save because there was a lot of cost savings going on. And what I did was something, it was very hard to find another job doing that without sort of moving down to London. My husband was working in sales at the time. And I didn't really want to move. My family and my friends were here. So I thought, oh, well, let's give working for myself a try. Now, this was mid-90s, so we didn't have the internet, really, and we didn't have Facebook and social media and all this sort of thing. Um, so I had to sort of do it the old-fashioned way. In those days, it's actually marketing was quite expensive, really, because you either had to advertise or you had to send lots of letters out to loads of companies and pay quite a lot of money for the data to find them and all the rest of it. But I do remember um, working with the local, local chamber of commerce, which was great because you got to know local companies. That was sort of like early networking for me, I suppose. But also, I spotted, I, I, I did take some trade magazines and spotted what I would call agencies that were advertising for writers. So they did the marketing, got the jobs in, and then they would feed that work out to associate writers, if you like. And I did that for an awful long time, quite successfully, actually. But of course, later on, when the, when the internet sort of became a lot more viable for selling, you know, things change. I mean, the way, if I was launching that business now, I would probably go about it somewhat differently. So, um, yeah, I do think there's been differences in, 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 in over the years in the way that we do things. I know quite a lot of people who purely just sell off social media. I don't. I sell from LinkedIn generally, get most of my leads from LinkedIn and from my website. But um, I think it's the nature, what nature of the business as to what you, the best social media platform is for your sales. Has it made it easier or difficult in your view in terms of now the writing more because of videos coming in a lot as well now YouTube is a massive platform a lot of people are moving away from a lot of text to a lot of yeah it's just a lot easier to consume and you know and a lot of uh, social media platforms are pushing that forward so how does that have an impact in terms of writing getting your message across to to your audience? Well, that is a really, really good question because video is is something that I'm only very slowly coming around to. But it's interesting because I haven't noticed a a big difference. People still want a website. They still want content on the website. There's still a lot of people who are uncomfortable watching video because they can't have the sound on for some reason. So, for example, if you're working in... um, a large SME or a corporate business, you know, it's it's unlikely that you would have the sound switched on on your. It's unlikely you would even have sound on your um, 
So if you were looking for somebody to do writing for you at a corporate level or at a larger business level, the chances are you'd want to read about it rather than watch a video. Uh, You might watch a video sort of out of hours or on your phone or something like that. And it might support what else that you're looking for. But I'm not quite sure that the bigger businesses are there yet with that because it does interfere, doesn't it? I mean, for one thing, so many businesses still insist that their staff can't wear headphones during the day. There are some that can, but a lot don't. And if you can't wear headphones, then you can't really listen to video, can you? Although I do see an increasing number of people using words on their video that you say you can watch the video and see are the words yeah yeah underneath i'm sure there's a technical term for that subtitles yeah yeah and and i do know quite a lot of people who do video blogs but they then turn them into they do the video and they do the words so it appeals to both people um i still i think going forward there will always be that that difference so yeah it's an interesting question and yet interestingly looking at social media there are just so many copywriters around, you know. I mean, it's not like it's a dying breed at all. Um, I mean, oh, yeah, there's a lot of companies now even have an army of copywriters where you can just buy their services and, and you know, they'll they'll produce four or five or six articles for you. Yeah. They do everything for you pretty much. And you, you just sit back, you know, once or twice, you may have to read them and go, yeah, that looks all right. And then they do the rest. In, in your opinion, what should one look for, a business should look for when they're looking for a copywriter or someone to help them with bid writing or any sort of technical writing to help them in business? What should they look for? I, I think it's the same as what I'm looking for, really, is I like to work with people that I get to know because I get to know their business. So when you're working with somebody, um, if I was looking for a copywriter, well, I, I, I'll deal with copywriting and bid writing separately because there's, sli- there's a slight difference. So with a copywriter, you want somebody who you feel you're on the same wavelength with. So it's really, really important to get on the phone and talk to those people or even have a Zoom call like we're having now, where you can talk to each other and say, yeah, I feel quite comfortable with this person. They sort of get me. And I think that's important. And you need to look at the sort of questions that the copywriter is asking you. Um, Are they asking you about your business, about yourself? Are they interested in finding out more about you um, so that they can understand you better and write better for you? So many people actually just choose a copywriter based on cost. Um, But quite frankly, I could probably name dozens of copywriters that I know that have set themselves up as a copywriter. They have no experience. They have no background in it. And they'll come in and do it really cheap, but you won't necessarily get a great job. The other thing is ask yourself what you want the copywriter to do. So my copywriting tends to be for bigger companies and SMEs. And it's I like to call myself more of a technical copywriter. So I don't tend to do quite so much of what I call the, uh, oh, I don't really insult anybody, but if I say fluffy stuff, I don't mean that in a derogatory fashion. But It's just a different, you know, I tend to take slightly more technical topics and turn them into something that's more readable. Whereas there are other copywriters that particularly excel at, say, writing sales letters. Or you'll often find copywriters will specialise in a certain area and they're very often quite good to go to. Now, they may branch out and do other things as well, but they are particularly known for something. When you come into bid writing, that's an interesting one because... 
when people talk to me, I mean, obviously, you want somebody who you click with again that you can talk to. They don't necessarily have to have a detailed understanding of your business sector. It, it helps if they know. So, it's, for example, I've got quite a lot of cleaning companies that I write for. And because of that, I really understand the sector very, very well. And I can often ask the right questions, particularly where I can see obvious gaps in answers that they haven't addressed because it, I've just got experience in that area and I understand that. But also, I very often get asked what my win rate is. Uh, and that's quite a long discussion to go into because effectively, a bid writer's win rate doesn't measure anything because there's a number of reasons why you win a bid or a tender. There is the cost is a big element. And if you've got your prices wrong, you're either too cheap or you're too expensive. That can wipe you out. You may not have the right compliance. So you might not have all the right policies and procedures in place. I always say to people, if you want the measure of a bid writer, you need to ask them what they're scoring on their quality questions. So when you do a bid or a tender, if you win or lose it, you should go back and ask for feedback. And that feedback will include the marks that they've assigned to each question. So you'll know whether you've got 80%, 90% or 50% you know, marks for that answer. So the higher the marks for that answer, the better you've answered the question. So if your bid writer is quite high up and they're getting 80s and 90s, you know that that person knows what they're doing with the quality questions. And that is the only bit that a bid writer really has control over. Does that make sense? It does, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's sort of the, you know, my, my client's responsibility to get their pricing right. I can't do pricing for them. That's up to them. They should know their marketplace and where they sit and what their competitors are doing. And also whether they can do that job for the price they're stating, because there's no point going in really, really low. And then six months into a contract, think we can't do it anymore because we're not making any money out of it, which is not uncommon, actually. And in, in terms of this is a two part question, really, it's someone who's starting up, you know, starting a new business. Uh, it can be a lot. It can be very overwhelming the way to begin from. Part question, one's for people that are starting up, one's that people that have businesses and want to grow it. So the first part is that people that are starting off, you know, you have to get a website, you have to get your social media right, you have to get start creating content, you have to yeah. uh, you have to make sure your web copy is right, you have to make sure you have some sort of uh, product services in a, in a form where you can present it to your to your to your clients. Where does one begin if someone comes to you saying, "Look, I have a bit of money. Where do I begin?" Well, I think it depends on the business a little bit. I have my own preferences. I actually think that you have to have somewhere to send people, so a website can be important, but it doesn't have to be an expensive website. It can be. It can even be a one-page website. If you've got the right information there that people need to see, I'm not a fan of some people believe that you don't need a website anymore. What you really need is a good Facebook page or a Facebook group. Yes, they're nice. But the, the problem is with social media is you're putting your business in the hands of somebody else. So yeah. if I, I do actually know somebody um, that had a Facebook page, which they'd grown, they had about 3000 people subscribed to it. And they were actually um, 
they were setting themselves up for a conference they were organizing in the States. And they got all these people onto the website and they were communicating with them all, getting them all excited about it. And then for some reason, Facebook took their Facebook page down. They later apologized and put the Facebook page back up. But by then, they'd lost all of their followers. Um, Because when you lose a Facebook page, you lose all the followers. You have to build them all back up again. Oh, wow. Okay. And so that person had put a lot of effort and time into something and completely, completely just got wiped out by the press of a button. So I always say to people, think about things like that. So have a website that's got some of the content on, but also, you know, have your Facebook stuff, but also, you know, find something that you can give away, like what we call them a lead magnet. I don't know whether that's a term you've come across. Give something away. It could be a webinar. It could be a document, but something that's valuable to your potential clients in exchange for their email address. Now, if my colleague had have done that, she could have then emailed using something like MailChimp or something like that. She could have emailed all of those people and say, come and join the new Facebook page. I'm sorry, but, you know, Facebook let me down and it's come back. Please come back and join us. And she'd have probably got quite a lot of them back. But she had no means of communicating with them because she didn't know who they were. Um, So I think the answer to your question is it's tricky. Um, I always think even a basic website is a good place to start. And I think that then you sort of build from that. But something a a business coach told me some time ago, which actually makes a lot of sense to me, uh, and I'm sure this is something you you tell your um, coaches, is that the right word? I don't know these days is have packages, you know, have something that people can actually, um, so on your website, have a something that they you can put perhaps put a price to or something so that you can say, this is what I sell. And I think that it's difficult. Um, I can do it for my copywriting. It's difficult with web, uh, with bid writing because how long is a piece of string with some bids? You don't know how big they are. So my, my advice is get a, just even a basic website. It doesn't have to cost a fortune, just a basic website with a decent page on, which tells people all about you and you can grow it, you know, get it in something like WordPress uh, with a Divi theme or something that you can grow and develop. You can even put a little blog on there so you can talk to people, you can link to it, you can use the blogs on LinkedIn or you can use them elsewhere. But then if you're talking to me about bid writing, that's a slightly different story because I always say to people with bid writing, some businesses need to do bid writing to grow. So if you've got to get contracts from a local government or national government or anybody like that, it all has to go through a tender process. But I always say to businesses, start small because what happens is when you... Um, one of the criteria that they measure when you um, when they're marking a bid is what your turnover and your profit is compared to what the value of the business is that they would be giving you. Now, if they would be giving you, um, now it used to be 25%, but sometimes they'll go up to 50 these days. But if, if they're going to become a substantial client of yours, they don't like it because they feel that they're putting you in a more dangerous position because if that contract folds, then your business suddenly will retract quite substantially. And, of course, if you've got overheads or staff or anything to deliver that contract, that can can close you down. So um, I always say to people, when you're approaching this sort of bid and tender process, 
start with smaller ones and build your business up you know put the foundation blocks in and build on a solid background so as you build your business each new contract that you're winning isn't a win-lose situation for your business it's actually building your business nice and steadily and what will happen then is you'll have a much more solid base so if you do lose a contract for some reason or a contract comes to an end and they award it to somebody else, which happens occasionally, then obviously you're not actually out of business. You've still got all your other clients that you're servicing and you can look for more. Does that make sense? So it's about just building it up slowly and steady. That, that was an insider's tip, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um, and it's something that people don't do. They always want to go for this great big contract. And um And the other thing is a big contract takes somebody like me loads of time to put together for them. So it's expensive, you know, so they're investing in something. Whereas if we start small and we do a small contract and then we do a slightly bigger and what happens is along the way, we're building all the foundation of the compliance documents and everything that they need. It's very affordable. And if, you know, we win some, we lose some along the way. I mean, I've got one customer, we started off, I think his turnover was around 60,000. And in three years, we built him up to 2.5 million. But we did that over a period of time, just winning contracts, slowly but surely, you know. And also what you're doing is you're building up what I call a bid library. So you're building up a library of content that we can pick and choose and massage. I don't advocate cutting and pasting stuff and just sticking it into the answer because it sort of sounds about the same topic. But it's often a starting point, which saves a lot of time and effort, you know. So as I say, it's just building it up a little bit at a time. So I've got a couple of other little customers at the moment, and we're just doing one or two little tenders, you know. It's not really taking a lot of my time to do them. But I'm hoping that, you know, if we win a few, then we'll gradually build that up into a much bigger business. And they'll use my services more. So it's sort of a win-win situation for both of us. Wow, uh, that's an awesome, uh, awesome insight, or awesome tip, I should say. <laughs> but on the same lines, I always remember my dad used to say to me that if you do a deal with somebody and you're not both winning, you haven't done a good deal. Because to yeah, have a good deal, you've both got to get something out of it. And that's sort of the basis of the way I try to work with my customers as well. I mean, absolutely. In this day and age, it's not enough to, you know, then, you know not even in this day and age, if you look, Many, many years ago, before the internet age, I remember my father, my, my grandfather talking about, you know, when they used to have shops and they used to look, they knew all of their clients by names. They knew yeah. who their families were, their kids were, uh, you know, it was that relationship they had. And there was always, you know, hey, that's fine. I'll drop you to your house or pay I remember me. remember those days, yeah. You know, pay me, pay me later on or you know, whatever that was. There was a trust. There was, you know, and they always, almost always came good. Sorry. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I think more or less now we are coming back to that same life comes full circle, right? In the business world as well, if you, if you look at it right now, we have, you talked about glass ceiling earlier on. I mean, it's not too different. It has changed, but hasn't changed as much. Mm. So we've seen this revolution of um, people, you know, leaving their jobs and starting, you know, whatever service or value they give to their company, they can do the same for their clients on their own and start a business. And who knows what size they can grow it to, right? Yeah. The more work you put in, you know, the more you can do that. Well, that was a lesson I learned, really, because, but I mean, I worked in, I worked for a building society and then I worked for a firm of accountants and I gave them everything. 
because I was brought up with a very, very strong work ethic. And the, the biggest lesson I took away from being made redundant is it doesn't matter how hard you work for somebody. If it's not political for them to keep you, whether it's financial or otherwise, you just out the door. You know, it's not. I mean, the only thing I do like is I, I do have some companies that are like quite nice family work companies that I work with. And their, their work ethic seems to be a lot better. You know, they do actually care about the people that work for them and they develop a relationship. But it's not that common these days. Uh, I mean, for, for me personally, if someone tells me to put all my eggs in one basket, um, you know, and risking it in terms of your effort, in terms of your hard work, I agree with that philosophy of putting everything in one basket. But, but in terms of your source of income, you know, that company could collapse. That person could sell the company. You know, a number of different things can happen and they do happen. You know, if someone comes up tomorrow, I don't know if you uh, may or may not know, there was uh, this, this app. Uh, if I remember the story correctly, which if you scan the wine, it tells you what the rating is and all of that. So this big company comes in, buys the app, and they made all these promises to him. He said, look, I don't want to sell, but the, obviously the money's too good. And they said, don't worry about it. We'll grow the company and, you know, you can be on the board of members and, you know, things like that. And we'll, you'll get a certain percentage. And what they did was they bought the company and shut it down. Yeah. Before, because they were, they were starting up a rival company, you know. You're working on something. I saw that. That happens recently. Well, I say recently. It's probably about five years ago now. I used to enjoy buying uh, particular some products from a particular company, and they were all natural products, you know, sort of the products you'd use in the bath and the shower and stuff like that. Mm. And uh, a big um, company, high street company, bought them out, and literally within three months, they closed them down. And I just, I was, I was really annoyed actually because I couldn't buy these products anymore that I really love, and I, I just could not understand why they would do it. And they do it because they can and because they see it as an opportunity to cut down on competition. I guess I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's all about competition, and you know, if you're if you're putting your destiny in someone else's hands, yeah, ready to be surprised. I've I've been a consultant, you know, for a number of years, and you know. I know I've been around, I've seen it, I've seen, you know, where big promises are made and overnight you're gone. Um, and yeah, I've, I've seen many, many horror stories. And, uh, I've heard of many people recently, actually, have given a lot to, their, to, to a business and they've been left with a very sour taste for one reason or another. Um, well, working for yourself, all hands off, you know, if not immediately, you know. Well, I like to think I'm unemployable, actually, now after working for myself for so many years. Anybody that has that, that urge. And but do you know what the exciting thing about working for yourself is that I, I think is when you're employed, you sort of know roughly what your salary is going to be every month. And you sort of know after a while what your potential annual increase might be if you're lucky, right? Yeah. But when you work for yourself, I like to think the sky's the limit, you know? Absolutely. You, you know, you could you can earn what you earn with an employed company if you put the effort into it. I mean, let's face it, working for yourself isn't an easy option. It's hard work. But you're working hard anyway, so why not put that hard work and benefit yourself? But the thing is, if you run that business in the right way and you take advice and you run it well, you know, like I say, the sky's the limit. You don't know where that's going to end up. And you haven't got that in an employed situation. That's just my personal feeling around being self-employed or be working for myself. 
And I think that's why so many people in this country are moving in that direction. Seems to be a little bit of a growing thing, doesn't it? Well, absolutely. I mean, this is all because of internet now, you know, even back, like I said, life is coming full circle. You know, many, many years ago, you know, you pretty much, although you were very limited in your options, you know, you did what your father, you know, if your father was a baker, you were a baker, most likely. If he was a farmer, you were a farmer and you were all, everybody was self-employed. And then came the industrial age, changed things. Now comes the internet age. It's giving us, if you don't take any action right now, if you don't act now, uh, next 20, 30 years, if you, if you follow any of the cloud companies or any of the technology companies with automation, with you know, um, AI and machine learning, you would be surprised at things it can do and how fast things are changing. And yeah, I mean, most of these jobs that are there, people are, are in these cushy comfort, comfort jobs, then that's not going to be there any longer. Yeah. People, people will pay a lot more money for that personal touch that personal service that you're getting, a machine can't give you that. And that's going to come from a human. So if you don't position yourself now uh, or even b- begin your journey now, you, the next decade is going gonna, gonna to be really tough. It's interesting, actually, when you look at the buying process, though, isn't it? Because um, mm. it's, it's, it's interesting. I was watching my husband actually going through a buying process this week, and he actually ended up discounting a pro- products where he couldn't find a phone number so he couldn't speak to somebody and where if they didn't have a website and he couldn't get into, do you know what I mean? There were certain things that actually you'd think, well, I don't really want to buy from them, you know? And, and I think the way people buy is, is changing. And, and there's, again, you come back to this thing with the big companies. I mean, I don't know whether you've ever been in this position, but you try and call a big company and it's actually really hard to get through to a person now. You know, all of the big companies you can name in this country, you try getting through to an, a person who actually can speak to you. It's, in fact, sometimes you get through and you think you're talking to somebody and then you suddenly realise you're not actually talking to somebody, you're talking to this sort of robot voice that's responding <laughs> to keywords that you've mentioned, you know. That is really distracting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the future is very interesting in terms of social media, um, but but for sure, writing, if if not, if not much, it'll change in a very interesting way. And yeah, I mean, the future is... Future is uh, it's sometimes it's, it's hard to see. I mean, at the moment, you know, I mean, we mentioned video and I know lots of people who do video, but they start off with a bit of a script. Um, so there's an element of writing in that, if you like. Um, sure. Where we'll be in 30 years' time, 50 years' time, I, I just, it's hard to say because I'm not actually convinced that we can... We, we've got most of us have got that vision I don't know perhaps some people have but it'll be it'll be interesting but the thing is you see a lot of people who write are good communicators and sometimes you can actually transfer that skill into a different method of communication yeah absolutely. Um, you know you, you, you don't have to be good at when starting 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 off you don't have to be good at hence you see this podcast is a great opportunity for me you know I may not be very good at writing but you know this gives me an opportunity to communicate and talk to people and, you know, talk about ideas and insight and share that. And it gives me more ideas, perhaps write down and talk about a video, you know, share, share my message really. So, yeah, I mean, the sky is the limit now. Internet's just opened up so many mediums for us to express ourselves. And yeah. 
we need to express. Everybody needs to express their own talents in a certain way. And uh, and yeah, and why not do that and make money? Why why sit down in a chair for eight nine hours and slave all your life? And now, if not not now, then when? You know, yeah. um, I you know who Gary Vaynerchuk is. Yes, I know him. Yeah. Gary, yeah. So someone asked him a question. I think it was uh, Elon Musk's um, uh, Elon Musk's unveiling of the electric truck, which oh. can go in, uh, and then and then he he says he said if I if I remember correctly that in the next couple of years they've already done it and they're just testing now. They'll have electric trucks which are driverless, so they'll have one lane in the motorway dedicated to that that can drive you know on its own. Um, and he said, do you feel sorry for the truck drivers? He said, he said, people that take action, that's going to happen, but that's going to happen in the next five, six, seven, eight, nine years. I won't feel sorry for you then. Uh, because now you know now that it's going to happen in the next five, 10 years. If you don't take action now, it's on you. It's on nobody else. Mm. For you to feel sorry for yourself or protest or blame the government, blame the people. They're not moving with the world. Yeah, yeah. It's as simple as that. You got no to blame, and and um, it's a very good point to end now. Um, any final thoughts? Any any insights you'd like to share? I think really as well. I mean, I, I I'm I understand your target market in terms of the people that you like to work with, and I do think that that people have a a lot more to offer than they might imagine. And um, I think that we surprise ourselves sometimes by how much we actually do know that we don't realise. And even if you've worked for um, a corporate business for sort of 20 years, there's a hell of a lot of experience there that you can take away and use even in a completely different field. And I think it's about being agile um, in your thinking in terms of the way you can use that knowledge in different ways. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. Your, uh, your experience and your value does not start from the point you start studying. No. It starts from the minute you're born. Yeah. And, and all, everything adds up. You know, if you come, if you have an approach in your, with your business that it's a win-win situation, yeah. uh, you, you'll always come out on the top. You'll always have work. You'll always have clients, you know. You'll always make money. And um, I think the, the, only other thing, yeah, the only other thing that I would add to that is um, having empathy for other people. So if you actually try and put yourself in the other person's position and imagine how you would like to have been treated, that goes a long way in business as well to building good relationships with prospects and with clients. Um, The thing that infuriates most people the most is when they're not treated with respect or people just sort of can't be bothered to find out more about them. So it goes back to people again, to a degree, understanding people. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say that. I was, uh, I interviewed Jan Reeves. Um, I don't know if you've have have not heard about her. And she was talking about the same thing. She helps people, uh, businesses, and and her clients with uh, uh, invoicing. A lot of the times, cash flow can become an issue where people have put a lot of effort and time in into getting sales, but their invoices. They, they invoice a customer and they forget about it until the last minute and then have to keep chasing, chasing, chasing. So she really helps people, uh, you know, paid really. And she was in this client, your customers, your relationship with them, how you look after them. Yeah. And if you create an atmosphere and deliver that value, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, if they come out on top, you'll come out on top. So, yeah. So 
Alison, where can people find you? Um, and you, earlier on, you mentioned about a training program that you run with. So where can people find you? Well, there's um, a couple of, I'm actually going through a rebranding process at the moment. Um, so, um, but you can always find me on thebidwriter.com, uh, which is my bid writing website. And um, my other website is Write to Win, W-R-I-T-E, to win. Or you can find me Facebook, LinkedIn, most, I don't do Twitter, actually, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> so, yeah, connect with me in any of those ways, and I'll be happy uh, to talk to anybody. Um, I always like to have a chat with people and find out how they're doing in their business and, and take it from there. Awesome. Alison, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insights and, you. and your ideas. Uh, it was very helpful, and I hope a lot of people find a lot of value. And uh, yeah, do get in touch with Alison. She's amazing. I've used her services personally. Um, she knows exactly what she's talking about. Get in touch. All the bodies are buried now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Only the Brave Have Fun. I hope you got some great value and insights from this episode. And if you're someone who wants to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur, then I have some great free resources for you. If you visit www.jazzbearaurora.com, that's www.jazzbearaurora.com, and drop me a line, I will send you an ebook and also a one-hour masterclass. And also... Um, Go and take the Escape the 9 to 5 survey, uh, which will help you understand where you are right now um, and where the gaps are in your knowledge to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur. And if you're a business and you need help growing or if you have any uh, issues that you'd like to discuss, then yeah, once again, visit the website and I'll be more than happy to help you. Thank you for listening.